So I want to invite you to turn back there this morning. If you have a copy of the scriptures or have something you can look on and follow, really appreciate that. We have some copies of the scriptures, the Bibles. Uh, they're kind of paper bound. They're right in front of you. They're somewhere close to you. If you need one of those, really encourage you to take one and use that. And uh, even take it home with you if that's your need. Love to have you do that. So welcome. And uh, welcome back to James chapter 4. I'd like to begin this morning by asking a couple of questions, if that's okay. Um, first, do you have any white space left on your calendar for today? Now, I know there's some things planned tonight, and I, that's important, that's good. So some of you have some um, folks coming over, watch the big game, and uh, may the best team with the properly inflated equipment win. So maybe you don't have much white space left on your calendar for today. How about tomorrow? What about next week? How about for the semester? This year? How far out have you scheduled? And before you filled in all the slots, bought the tickets, uh, made the reservations, signed the documents, um, reserved your classes Did you ask the Lord what he thought? Is your day, is your tomorrow, is your month, is your year, is everything before him? For review, I mean. Somehow waiting for his approval, or at least his input, perhaps some revisions. If not, James is concerned. Actually, God is. Verse 13, chapter 4, James says, Listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and actually make some money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? Your life is a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, and all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. You see, as James begins to conclude this letter, he's getting extremely practical. He's going to get into your personal life. Actually, the Lord is going to get into... All of our personal lives through James. And by the way, that is God's prerogative. You do know that, right? It is God's prerogative to get into your life, your personal life. It is his prerogative to go through your closets. To make his way through your ledgers or maybe your plans and priorities. Uh, It's his prerogative to make his way through your portfolio, your checkbook. I mean, it's his prerogative to get into our business. We really cannot say, at least rightly say, um, that's, that's kind of none of your business. <laughs> that's kind of awful. That's a little personal. 
And the question that James is asking in this section is, to what degree do you and I presume upon God and simply go about our living and our planning and our scheduling and our spending and our investing and our doing without ever considering His gracious will in the matter? That's the question. And if you go to the end of this passage that I just read, you can see this is not to be taken lightly because James says anyone who knows the good that he ought to do and doesn't do it actually is sinning. God calls it sin. James refers to this type of presumptuous living as sin, plain and simple. Now we could actually be thinking we are being very efficient, amazingly productive, and even impressive in all of our planning and scheduling, and accomplishments, and every day we could be living in willful, abject rebellion against God. That's what sin is, by the way. It's just absolutely leaving God out of the equation. Now, James has just completed a rather pointed and personal lesson on the power of words. We've seen that over the last couple of weeks, and their extreme importance in our relationships with one another, and ultimately, in our relationship with him. So James may literally be talking about Christians to whom he is writing who are actually saying out of habit, we're going to go do this, we're going to move to this city, we're actually going to set up shop, build a business, and we're going to make a great killing. So He might actually have some people in mind that have this great plan. His problem is he's wondering, have they ever brought that plan, that consideration before Almighty God? And he's calling them on the weight of their words and what those words actually betray about their attitude towards God and his desire and actual prerogative to rule their lives. You see, words matter to God mainly because they reveal so much about what's going on inside of us. James could have been talking about literal words, but I think there's more in view here. He must also be talking about an attitude of leaving God out of the matter. Beyond our mere requests for his kind of obligatory blessings on decisions and plans we have already determined to undertake or commitments and investments we have already decided to make. That's why I began this morning with that series of questions asking you how much margin do you have left in your calendar? Is there any white space left? for God's input? Has God been given an opportunity to weigh in? Can you demonstrate kind of with your actions that you have his favor and sanction and that all of these plans are somehow wondrously in line with his gracious will? Or are you following everything you exactly did last year and the year before? See, most of us already have our hundreds of tomorrows mapped out. James asks, do you even have tomorrow? Do you even know what what will happen tomorrow? I mean, what is your life? Your life is is like the morning fog. It's, it's, It's there momentarily, and then as the sun begins to peel away layers of the atmosphere within just a few minutes, even maybe an hour or so, it's gone. That that's your life. From God's perspective, it is so brief relatively compared to all of eternity. 
Why do we insist on living so presumptuously as if we have everything figured out and we can just continue to fill in all of the white space of our lives and leave God out of the equation? That's what James is concerned about. Listen, you, you who say something like this and actually have this attitude in your heart that you, you are the great one who has the ability and all of the wisdom to make this great plan and never consider God. That's a problem, says James. You see, the one attitude has me and my understanding, my dreams, my plans at the very center of everything, and God is somehow on the periphery. He's not unimportant, but he doesn't have access to somehow direct or or revise, or alter the plan. But the second attitude where James says, this is what you ought to say, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will do this. And discovering the Lord's will is a process, and it's an attitude of coming before him with humility and waiting upon him to speak, at least giving him an opportunity to speak into our, our living. You should also, you should actually say, if the Lord's will, if it is his will, then I, I will do this. I will set about this plan because I know quite certainly that, that this is what he has led me to do. This, these are the, this is the way he wants me to spend my discretionary time. This is how he wants us to order our day. This is how he wants us to spend our weekends together. Th this is what God has ordained for us because we have sought him. We have brought this before him. We have heard from him. We have waited upon him and he has directed us. So if it is the Lord's will, we will do this and we will trust him for the results. See, that's the attitude that has God at the center and actually enthrones him as the only proper righteous ruler of, of, of my life. And by the way, James isn't saying by calling our, our lives a, a mere fog or a vapor that disappears as the sun begins to, 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 to heat the earth, that, that it's insignificant. He's actually saying quite the opposite. He's saying because it is so brief relative to all of eternity, it is monumentally significant that you not misspend it, trusting on your own kind of ideas and understanding of how it ought to be spent. That's what James is saying. It is precious. It is most valuable because it is so brief. So why risk it by kind of going with your gut or going, what going based on your own understanding of how you ought to, to, to spend the resources of your life, what God has given you? That, that's what James is concerned about. It's an attitude. Listen, we're all in this kind of rhythm. As soon as the bell rings on this service, um, you're all going to go off and, and work your plan for the day. It's already set in motion. And then tonight, and then tomorrow, and then midweek, and then next weekend, and then February, and then spring. And then you round the turn and, and suddenly it's summer and you're, it's already in motion. You've already got that plan. James is just pushing pause on that and saying, listen, listen to all of you who already have your plan. To what degree 
has God had an opportunity to weigh in? What does that look like for you and your family? Or have you simply kind of placed things in motion and you're, and you're hoping for his kind of perpetual providential blessing to just kind of come down upon it? You see, th- that sounds like fairly decent Christianity. James says it's sin. Now, I didn't write that. He did. Anyone who knows the good he ought to do but doesn't do it sins. You're boasting. That kind of boasting is evil, says James. What you ought to say is, we want to do the Lord's will. And if it's his will, this is, this is what we're going to roll out there. And I went to school with a, I went to seminary, grad school with a, a guy. Probably one of the most talented, gifted, bright uh, students, young men that I'd have ever met. Still is. And we were both in the same program together. And it was a, it was a, it was a uphill climb at 122 hours. Uh, graduate, it was a big program. Language, Greek, Hebrew, I mean the whole deal. And uh, man, that, that guy hit that campus and he was, he was flying. He said, I'm going to do this in three years. <laughs> You're going to do it in three years? I'm going to do three, 122 hours of grad school in three years. I'm going to get it done. And man, he went at it. Got it done. That sounded so efficient. I mean, just get it, get it done. Get it done as quickly as possible and in the most efficient manner possible because then I'll have all this time to kind of serve the Lord. That was his plan. But guess what? He never asked God. He never just, by the way, we talked to him now, and he's, he's learned, he's kind of learned this. I'm getting this kind of post-graduation. He's saying, listen, I never, I never bowed and acknowledged the Lord, because if I had, the Lord would have told me, slow it down. Because I, I have some things I want to teach you. I want to prepare you for the work. It's going to take some time. I want you to be in relationship with some people. It might cost you a, a, a semester or maybe a summer where you could have gotten, you know, another 12 credits under your belt. But if you trust me, if you trust me with that and just slow this thing down, you, you have no idea what I could do for you. He didn't do that. He got it done. Three years. He walked out. He left that place. He got his resume out, threw it out there, and everybody went, What? He wandered out there, man. He didn't have anything to do. He didn't have anywhere to go. Now, if God had said, here's the deal. Thanks for asking. I'm going to provide for you in such a way that you can get that thing done in three years flat, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to fill your life. Just go, go, go. He could have said, man, it's the Lord's will. I'm going. It doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm going to do it. See the difference? What you should say, says James, is if the Lord wills, we will do this. That puts the Lord in the center of everything. It gives him preeminent priority and authority over the direction of our lives, our calendars, how we spend our our resources and our time, how we develop our, our relationships. 
This, this, is, this is what God is concerned about in, in this passage, it seems. Now, to just give you a couple of illustrations of how, how quickly this, this can get off rails in our lives, I want to go to the Gospels. First of all, hold your finger there and go to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. So over to the <coughs> beginning of the New Testament, into the Gospels, I want you to see a story in Mark chapter 10. Hang with me here. <coughs> Mark chapter 10. Jesus is busy away in his ministry He's forging some relationships. He's laying down some precepts. He's, he's kind of upsetting some apple carts in people's minds in terms of their understanding of, of, of what it means to be a person of faith. And there's this great story in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13. It has to do with children. I love this. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. They, they just wanted him to kind of bless them, but the disciples rebuked them. See, that didn't make any sense to them. That was very inefficient. It was messy. Kids are unpredictable. We've got a schedule to keep, but yet these people wanted their children in Jesus' presence, so they were bringing bringing them to Jesus. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He was indignant at the disciples' response, and he said to them, listen, let the little children come to me. That's how I like people to come to me, like little kids. No plans, no, just, just come to me with an openness, almost a naivety about, Lord, what do you want with my life? Just, just come, get close to me, because if, let them come to me. Don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. <laughs> now, did you hear what Jesus just said? That's that's what the kingdom of God looks like. It looks like that. It looks like a little bit of chaos. It looks like kind of these, these people who are so willing, these little people, to just experience Jesus and, and look to him. That's the genuine item. So don't hinder them. Actually be like them. And watch what happens next. I love this. He says, I, I, I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom like a little child will never enter it, never experience it. Now that's, that's perilous when you think about it. But then watch verse 16. And he took the children in his arms, he put his hands on them, and he blessed them. Listen, isn't that what you want for your life? For your family, for your children, for your teenagers, for your grandchildren? Don't you want the Lord creator, God of the universe, to put his arms around them, put his hands on their life and bless them? <clears throat> then why would you completely take that opportunity right out from under his, his control and just plan everything out for the next 20 years? And, just, and never just get up on his lap and say, wow, thank you, Lord, for a brand new year. It's 2015. You saw what we did last year? We're about to do it again this year, pretty much the same. But this year, we really like to know if this is your will. Because that's a lot of time we're going to be spending out there on those whatever. That's a lot of road tripping. That's a lot of money. And I want to make sure, Lord, that, that you got your hands all over this. And this is something you can really bless. 
You want to change a generation for Christ? I'm talking to some young couples out here who have little ones under their influence or you're just about to. Get out of this crazy rat race of let us figure this out all on our own Christianity because it's not the real deal. And bring your life and your priorities and your family and your time and your everything. Place it under the mighty hand of God and just ask him what he wants you to do. (laughs) Now there's another man that comes along the scene. He, He probably saw all this. Jesus started back on his way, verse 17, Mark 10. A man ran up to him and fell on his knees. Now that's a good start. Dads, whoo, husbands, that's a good start. That's where my family, more than anything, needs me to be, is on my knees before Christ. So this is a good start. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This is a good course he's on. Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, don't murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give all testimony, do not fraud, on your other, you know the list. Teacher, I, I've done all these things since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and he loved him, he had compassion on him because he knew that was the frame, that was how he had been trained. Just follow all the rules, do everything you're supposed to do, and you'll be fine. <coughs> and it moved Jesus. So Jesus looked at him, and he was moved, and he said, there's one thing you lack. And he said, go, sell everything you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Run that by me one more time. Okay. Take everything you got, sell it, give to the poor, and then join up. Come follow me. Well, I mean, that, that's kind of a lot to ask, isn't it? He went away sad, the scripture says, because he had so much stuff. You see, so much had already been set in motion. Everything linked together. He would have had to have reversed everything in his life. He would have had to have taken everything and brought it before the Lord and said, it, it, it was too much. And so he went away sad. That's what James is calling the church to. Not for everybody to sell all their stuff. But to at least ask. Lord, what do you want us to do? And then be willing to do it in order to follow him. 
Now that's radical. There's another story, Luke chapter 12. Let's go over a few pages to Luke. This one perhaps is even more compelling. It's a parable, so it probably didn't literally happen, but it's, it certainly reflects reality. That's why Jesus tells the, these parables, Luke chapter 12. Starting in verse 13. <clears throat> Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. A little family squabble over, over the inheritance. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator or arbiter between, between you? Then he said, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now that's radical in and of itself, given our culture. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, you see, that's James. Why, why do you talk to yourself and say something like, we're going to go to this city, we're going to build a business, and we're going to make a profit, and we're going to stay there a year. So this guy, he's... he's, he's He's looking at the prospect of a great windfall because he's got a great crop. And he thinks to himself. See, that's a red flag. He thinks to himself. He says, as he's talking to himself, um, what shall I do? What shall I do? <laughs> I have no place to store my crops. Well, that was probably true. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you see this, all this self-talk? You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, retire. Go someplace warm. Get a nice place. Just live it up. Doesn't that sound like a great plan? James says, only if it's God's plan, and only if God has said, hey man, looks like you're going to have a bumper crop. Here's what I want you to do. Tear down your old barns, big up, build up bigger ones, <clears throat> and store all those crops in these barns, and then take it easy for the rest of your life. That's my plan for you. Then you can say, that's what I'm going to do, because it's the Lord's will, because he told me. But... If after all of that, you come up with a plan, and you roll it out into your life, and you never once give God an opportunity to weigh in and tell you what he thinks you ought to do, James says, you're boasting, that boasting is evil. And if you don't do what you already know you ought to do, you're in violation of God's standard. The Bible calls it sin. You're in sin. You see, we could be perpetuating what we, what we view as the, the, the most efficient Christian life for us and our family, and we could actually be living in total rebellion against God because we've never asked. 
Is that what you want us to do? Is this how you want us to spend our days, to spend our time, to spend our resources? Is this what you want us to do? Is this how you want us to direct our children? Is this the timetable, Lord, what it is? We, we want to bring it before you because this is what we did in the past, but we want to make sure that we don't launch into the future presuming upon you once again. That's what James is saying. What you ought to say with your words, but more importantly, with your actions and your attitudes and your time and your priorities is this the Lord's will. That puts him at the center of everything. It gives him preeminent authority to rule all the directions of our lives. We call it Western, upper middle class, comfortable, clean, holy Christianity. God calls it sin. We call it focusing on the family. God calls it sin. We call it giving our children the best possible opportunity to get ahead and be successful. God calls it sin. We call it taking a trip when all we've done is really diverted personal funds, carved out all of this time to spend a week somewhere nice. And listen, unless we've brought that before Almighty God and considered the cost and the opportunity, God calls it sin. We call it being good stewards by making sure we get all the right grades and make sure we keep those grade point levels high because that's what gives us the best advantage on the other side. God calls it, unless we've asked him, he calls it sin. Now wait a minute, pastor. Wait a minute. Are you really saying that the way I'm living my life is is actually sinful before God? No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is unless we've brought these things before God and given him an opportunity to to offer input, to provide direction, to tell us this is what I want you to do. Yes, God calls it sin. I'm not sure why I'm yelling. (laughs) Of all the sad tales of life and men, the saddest of all, what, what could have been had we asked it's all basically okay. I mean, you, you know the commandments. You're not murdering. You're not committing adultery. You're not, you know, you're, just, you're, not, you're keeping the Lord's Sabbath holy. You know, you know the commandments. But you're missing something. Just like he said to that poor young man, man, are you really willing to do life the way I ask you to do it? Because that's what I'll bless Like the little kids, just, just let them come. When are we going to learn? He knows best. Why do we insist on this frenzied, achievement-based, efficiency, performance, premium brand of fitness, Christianity, and insist on imposing it on the next generation? God help us, says James, to lift out of this idolatrous, self-promoting desire to be Be all that we can be rather than humbling ourselves before Almighty God and repent in dust and ashes of our sinful, willful ways and bring our whole lives before His gracious, loving gaze and just ask. And say, not my will, Lord, not my will for my family, not my dreams for my kids, not my plans, not my timetable. Yours, Lord, yours, yours. 
that you would be exalted in their lives. Oh, let us raise up families, parents who are willing to let go and ask God to fling our children across the planet to be broken and spilled out for the glorious purposes of God's gospel. Instead, we hoard everything. We don't even give God a shot. This is what James is concerned about. And I'm chief, chief of sinners. My goodness. You, you don't even know that you're going to have tomorrow. What is your life? like a fog in the morning. It's just gone in the afternoon. What you ought to say, what I ought to say, what all of us ought to say starting tonight, if the Lord will, then we'll do it. Here's what it might look like. Push pause. No, just push stop. Get everything in the room. Get everybody in the room. Lay it all out. Day timers, calendars, iPhones, everything. Everything that shows and reflects what you've committed to. Everything. Everything's in motion. Just like that rich. He's got a lot of stuff. And say, Lord, I realize there's a lot here that we just put in motion because that's what we did last year and that's what we did the year before and that's what we did the year before and it feels good and we've got these relationships and things are going pretty good and our kids are excelling, you know, okay, but we never really asked, so we're going we're gonna to ask. We're just going to put it all out there, Lord. We're going to wait on you. We're going to open your word and we're going to pray for a season and we're going to ask if you need to reverse engines on any of this, we're, we're willing to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. Give us the grace to be obedient because we don't want to sin. We don't want to sin. Or you can go away sad because it's just too much. It's too much to change. I mean, it's already in motion. You've already spent the money. You've already made the commitment. But then anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it. Sins. Imagine what God could do. In my family, through my family, through you, through your family, if we would just ask. You're all very good at what you do. Some of you are amazingly adept 
at doing it. It's quite something to behold. That doesn't mean it's God's will. But if it is, do it with all your might and bring glory to his name. If it isn't, by the mercy of God, you better change direction. Let's just bow before him. Lord, these are hard sayings. There's nothing easy about these words. Lord, you've brought them to us in your grace and in your kindness. You must know what's best for us, so we ask you to help us. First of all, help the person that is struggling just with their own purpose for their life. Maybe they've come to the end of their deal and they're looking around going, I don't have a clue what I'm going to do, Lord. Just give them the grace and the mercy to just bow before you and call upon your name. Just ask, wait on you. In their mind, it might mean, you know, it's going to set them back a year or two. Who cares if that's what you want them to do, to just kind of go back to square one and begin seeking you. Lord, give them the grace and the courage and the support from those around them to do that. To push pause or maybe change courses or directions, whatever it might be. Oh, God, Cause us to do whatever we need to do to be obedient to you for the praise and glory of your name, we ask through Christ. Amen. We're going to come before this table and it's a powerful symbol of just a life that was so well lived in total surrender and obedience to the will of the Father. Laid down his life for the ultimate purpose of bringing glory to his Father's name. That's why we're here. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That's final. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God apart from the grace and mercy of God in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who came, suffered, gave the perfect sacrifice, shed his blood for your sins so that you could be right with God. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't turn in an application. You can't fill out a resume. But you can receive it humbly by faith and say I need a savior today and trust him with your life